What's up, Overcomers? Welcome to another episode of the Overcoming You podcast. I am your host, Josh Canuti. If you haven't done so already, hit that subscribe button, give us a rating, write us a review, follow us on Instagram at Overcoming You, the letter U, or on TikTok, Overcoming You, the letter U, and join a bunch of other fellow overcomers. This episode of the podcast is sponsored by Onnit. And I want to focus, considering the episode that I have today, I want to focus on just one of their products. Normally, I focus on performance-enhancing products, you know, Shroom Tech, Alpha Brain, some other things like that. But I want to focus on one of the products that I think is really episode-adjacent for today, and that is New Mood. And New Mood is a daily stress and mood support, daily supplement designed to support natural serotonin production by providing more of your body's good mood-building blocks. Said another way, if you're feeling down, if you're feeling depressed, if you're feeling stressed out, Get some of this new mood, pop it in, and it will increase your serotonin levels. It supports natural serotonin production. It's formulated to assist in daily mood and relaxation. It's got all the vitamins and supplements things in there like valerian root. I don't know what valerian root is, but it's got that in there. Chamomile, lemon balm, jujube seed. I didn't know jujube seed was a thing, but it sounds healthy. Vitamin B3, niacin, vitamin B6, magnesium. And this is the big one, 5-HTP. It's regularly tested by third-party sources, so it's totally safe. And you can get it at onnit.com slash O-C-Y and save up to 10% on your order. That's onnit.com slash O-C-Y. Use that code O-C-Y and save up to 10%. That's onnit, O-N-N-I-T dot com slash O-C-Y. My guest today is a gentleman by the name of Eric Zink. I actually found Eric Zink on TikTok. If you don't know what TikTok is, you're probably over the age of 30, but nonetheless, it's a social media app that's um, quickly growing out there. And I actually found him probably a little less than a year ago. So it's like February now, last year, June or so. My wife, she gave me, she said, hey, have you ever seen this TikTok thing? I said, no, I downloaded it, started to look at it, and then came across his profile. And he was saying some just really profound things about mental health and suicide awareness and prevention. So I was like, oh, I'll follow him. And I know I'll go over this a little bit in the podcast, but at the time he was, I don't know, maybe he had 12,000, 20,000 followers, which is a shit ton, don't get me wrong. And then over these last six, eight months, he has blown up out of this world. I think he's got over 650,000 followers on TikTok. He's got a huge following on YouTube, Instagram, uh, Twitter, all that. But the coolest thing about it is that this man is 100% real and authentic. His only goal in life is to help people with mental illness or, or mental health or suicide or self-harm in any way, shape, or form. He does this so 100% authentically that he actually gives his own personal cell phone. And I know you're thinking, oh, it's just one of those text things that, you know, a Gary Vee or or some of these other people have. No, no, this is his, actually, his actual cell phone. It's a cell phone that him and I communicate with on today. And he gets like three to 5,000 messages a day just people reaching out to him going, hey, I'm having a tough time, or hey, I'm going through this. And he sits there and he responds to every single one of them. It is truly freaking amazing. I'm so excited that this person exists in this world. 
and the other thing is he's not without his own his own issues. One of the reasons why he is so outspoken and wants to create such a movement or help so many people is because he has been through it. And we go over some of these things in the podcast. He actually has been through his father committing suicide and his wife committing suicide. He's gone through his personal drug battle addictions, and then he tried to commit suicide. And so if anybody knows what it's like going through trauma or going through pain or going through mental illness or mental health, it's this guy, Eric Zink. And like I said, I can't say it enough. I'm so excited that this man exists. And listen up, because he has so many amazing tips and tricks and coping mechanisms to help if you're going through just a down day. Maybe not to the depths of despair like he has been or I have been or some of the other people, but if you're just having a down day, he'll go over some ways that he gets through it. And he talks so openly and so transparent that, like I said, I just I cannot say it enough. I'm so excited that this man exists and you're going to love this podcast. So please welcome my friend, the man, the bam, the badass motherfucker, Eric Zink. Somebody going through something that you went through, somebody that's hurting, what kind of message do you have for them or what advice would you give or what would you want to say to somebody that's going through a tough thing? I mean, the biggest advice I can say if you're going through a tough thing and no matter what the shit is that you're going through because we're all going through it at times is that you need to just stop. You literally separate from the world right now. Go look in the mirror and remind yourself that you're a BAMF, that you're a badass motherfucker, that you've made it through 100% of your worst days to make it through two today. And you didn't come this far to only come this far. Does it get better? Fuck yeah, it gets better. All right, we have the Banff himself, the badass motherfucker, Eric Zink, the uh, TikTok uh, extraordinaire. That's how I found you. Thanks for coming on the Overcoming You podcast. I really appreciate you taking the time. Oh, I really appreciate you having me come. Uh, was looking forward to this. Nice. Uh, well, we were chatting a little bit outside. You know, I actually ran into you or found, your, found you on TikTok. And like we were saying, my wife owns a marketing company and about June of last year, she's like, hey, have you heard this TikTok thing? And I was like, oh, let me go on it. And just like everybody else on TikTok mm-hmm. downloaded it as a joke. It didn't tell anybody they, they had it, especially for you know people our, our age is like, whoa. Our age isn't allowed on there. Yeah, <laughs> they they definitely don't, don't like us. And just started scrolling through and I saw one of your videos and I was like, it was so up, uplifting and uh, upbeat and I kind of connected with the with a, some of your story because we both have some um, experiences with suicide and you know I just started following you. I was like oh I like this guy this guy's nice so I followed you and at the time give or take is maybe 12 20,000 followers and then flash forward six months seven months whatever it is boom massive following and over 600,000 followers you got a massive following on YouTube but the cool thing is, it's not as handsome as you are. It's not a Instagram model. It's not anything like that. It's all about mental health, and it's all about suicide prevention. It's all about making people understand that they're worthy, making people understand that they're not alone. And so I just value that so much, and I'm so happy that you're uh, out there doing what you're doing. I'm so happy that you you have a following and getting that message out, out there. So it's just really, really cool to see. No, it, it makes a huge difference because a lot of people don't speak about it. A lot of people don't talk about it. Everybody posts when somebody when somebody dies by suicide, whether it's Kate Spade, whether it's whoever, Chester Bennington. Yeah. Everybody goes through and they post a suicide hotline. 
If, if you're struggling, reach out to this hotline. That's all everybody ever does. And no yeah. one calls it out for how it really is of what depression really is like of not leaving your bed. You're, you've been in bed for 12 days and, and you smell. You're not taking any showers. You're not eating. You're not brushing your teeth. You, you're in the same clothes. I mean, when you start yeah. calling out reality, people all of a sudden relate because so many people have been there. Yeah, but nobody talks about it. Yeah, yeah. I want to. I've said these a lot of these statistics before, but just so the listeners understand, it's one of those things. And even the producer just outside was like, uh, you know, we were kind of joking about some. You were doing some talks in some schools, and some uh, some of them are kind of like, hey, don't talk about that. Kind of sweep it under the rug. And so, just so the listeners know what a big issue suicide is in mental health is. So the second leading cause of death, ages 10 to 34, is suicide. The fourth leading cause of death, ages 35 to 54, is suicide. The World Health Organization says about one every 40 seconds, someone dies from suicide. And that same organization, World Health Organization, says by the end of this year, 2020, if not 2021, will be one every 20 seconds. Males are four times more likely than females. LBGTQ, sorry if I'm missing a letter, are eight times more likely to commit suicide, especially if the family member doesn't accept them. That's really big, big topic or big hot button right now. You've got to accept people for who you are. And then just to do another statistic, in the U.S., suicide is, in 2018, homicides, people killing other people, 16,214. Suicides? 47,173, more than twice. Not only that, I just looked this up right before. So I went on the U.S. Uh, Department of Health and Human Services, and they have a budget of everything that the, the U.S. I mean, this podcast goes around the world, but just for the U.S. They have a funding for alcoholism, a budget of $500 million. They have for forensics only, just forensics, not the whole homicide, a budget of $2 billion for suicide. 35 million. Mm -hmm. We have a epidemic in our society right now and nobody is talking about it. Nobody, everybody is sweeping it under the rug and everybody, and there's people, that's why I said it before the podcast and I really do mean it. We need people like you to have a voice and people like you that have been through it because I want to talk to somebody who's been through it, not just a suicide hotline. I, they're great. They're fantastic. I'm glad they're out there. But you have had experiences from every single angle that is known to man. And so I want to kind of talk to you. And so let the listeners know, and I want you to kind of go through it if you're okay with it, is you've had a couple of people commit suicide, and then you've had mm -hmm. a attempt yourself. Mm -hmm. So walk us through kind of your experience with suicide. The experience with suicide is... So in 2015, I'm a recovering addict. So in 2015, I was still in my addiction phase. Um, my wife ended up at the time committing suicide. We were separated. Uh, it was August 27th is when she committed suicide. Didn't know anything about it until I got a call from the Yuma County Sheriff's Department saying, we found your wife's body and we need you to come to Yuma. Mm. That was my first experience with it. And actually, the person that helped me through this the most was my dad. My dad is a doctor in Michigan. He's a family practitioner. He's the one that actually was my biggest support through it. He came out, him and my mom came out afterwards, um, you know, just to help me with some of the stuff. And then in 2017, he committed suicide. And then even after all that happened in 2018, after I'd already gotten sober, everything else, I attempted to commit suicide. And it's one of those that 
where you go mentally, it's, it's very different. Uh, you, you don't talk about going, hey, I want to commit suicide or, hey, I'm struggling. I mean, you're wearing the biggest fucking fake smile on the yes. planet and go, hey, yes. everything's okay. I started this back in 2018 in May. Started giving out my phone number on Twitter. And the reason I mm-hmm. gave out my phone number is if you call the suicide hotline, the first minute you're on the phone with the suicide hotline, you feel like you're calling a credit card department mm-hmm. because you don't realize it's actually the suicide hotline and the veterans crisis line. It's a combined line. It's two lines for the vets and for the suicide hotline. So you have to hit your option buttons as you go through it. Well, nobody's going to stay on the phone that long unless yeah. you really just you need somebody to talk to. But you can take up to an hour to talk to somebody. Same when it comes to the, the, the texting lines. It can take you up to an hour to get a response back. And, and I've had multiple cases and screenshots from people sent to me, uh, pictures taken and sent to me of, look how long it's taken me to get a hold of them. I started giving out my phone number because it was like, okay, it's not a hotline, it's not a crisis line, but I'll be your friend. Because mm-hmm. all we're looking for is, we're not looking for attention, we're looking for connection. We're looking for somebody to say, hey, I get the shit's real. I get it. Yeah. Let's let's let it out. I mean, that's where it starts at, you know, is finding somebody who's a friend to make you not feel alone because you feel that you're a burden to everybody. I mean, yeah. And, and it's a very logical, scary process because I didn't understand why they took their lives until I was to the point of taking my life that I literally convinced myself, isolated myself from everybody, didn't tell anybody what was going on. Mm-hmm. And had convinced myself logically in my brain that it made the most sense for me to kill myself, that I won't be a financial burden on my family. You know, my wife will be better off without me. The life insurance policy will take care of all the bills. She'll move on. She's still young enough to move on. You know, I'm, yeah. I'm already past that point in my life. How many like do overs do I really get? I was, uh, let's see, I was 37 at the time. Mm-hmm. And I had convinced myself wholeheartedly that this was the best solution. Yeah. And I had zero problem with going through with it. And, you you literally sell yourself on it. You sell yourself on it nonstop that, you know what, this is okay. And you literally become totally fine with it. You're like at peace. There's almost a euphoria because you know that the insanity in your head and and the thoughts in your head are all going to stop. Yep. And you know that it's not right. There's a, there's a little part of you that goes, dude, this isn't right. There is something wrong, but you're not going to share it with anybody around you. Yeah. Yeah. I'll tell you, I connect with that a lot. So two things. One, the burden was so huge for me. I knew I was a burden <clears throat> leading up to when I made that decision, which I, I think you're, you hit it perfectly. There's a point of like euphoria with that is that as clear as this shirt is black, I knew I was a burden on every person that ever was in my in my life, I knew it. I knew I was a burden, just like you said, financially to my wife. I knew I was, wasn't was a good friend to my friends. I knew that their lives would be better off without me. And I and I went, hey, yeah, they may be sad for a week, a month, something, maybe my wife two, two months, but after that, they're, li- they're gonna realize, they are going to realize how much better their life is without me. And you could not tell me anything different. And then I went through that same thing. I'll never forget you know, because I did the same thing. I started to isolate, you know, I would stay up late, sleep on the couch. And I remember sleeping on the, on laying on the couch and all of a sudden I had this thought, it was almost like this relief, like, Oh, this will just fix everything. Oh yeah. And it was in, and it's, it's to somebody who hasn't dealt with it or hasn't felt it, doesn't understand what that relief is. That relief was so warming and I don't, I'm not trying to glorify it, but it was so warming because I was like, it was the first time where my mind went, went, yeah, it's okay. I'm not going to put up a fight anymore because mm-hmm. all the times I thought about it before, it was always that thing in the head going, this isn't right. 
that, that you know and down down deep inside this isn't right but then when that night on the couch I, my mind just kind of i could feel my mind give up and go yeah go for it oh yeah and and people don't i mean that's one of the signs of suicide suicide from what i just found from my experience it's not somebody who's saying I'm, I'm, I want to commit suicide or I want to kill myself. That's a scream for help. That's a scream for connection. Get that, understand it. And that's not always the case, but typically with people who, who are going to take their life, uh, my wife is a good example. She started doing stuff around the house, seemed all happy and cheery. Like she, it was very euphoric. It's one of those things that, that people will say, you know, the person that ended up taking their life, we never saw it coming. They mm-hmm. just seem so happy all of a sudden and everything seems so much better. Yeah, because in their head, they have logically come to the, the, the means to an end of, of this. Yeah. Yeah, I remember I, uh, I, we took a – we did New Year's, my wife and I and a couple of friends. We did New Year's in Panama, and I knew it was going to be my last New Year's. And I would – it was so weird. I would touch everything just because I was like, oh, I'm never going to feel this. I would dance all the time. Even my friend's wife said, I've never seen Josh dance so much. And I'm a horrible dancer, mm-hmm. you know, but I was like, this is going to be the last vacation I have. This is, this is it. So like everything I would just t- touch it. It almost felt like I was on ecstasy a little bit. Um, just that I just wanted to hug everybody and everything, thing like that. It was just, like I said, I'm not trying to glorify it, but there, there is that, that part of it. <laughs> there, there is, and that's the scary part about it is, is it's not glorifying it, but when you are at that state, you essentially do glorify it in your head. Mm-hmm. And, and that pain that you think that everyone's going to get over it and over it, I mean, I tell people all the time, you know, I would, I'd give it anything to have one more hour with my dad yeah, or, or with my wife, just to let them know one more time that I love them. I mean, that's something that I'm never going to ever get over. People are like, well, how do you really get over it? Well, grieving is different for everybody, but you're always going to have that in your head. Yeah. And it's always going to be there and you're always going to miss that person. And and it it fucks with you. Yep. And, and you don't realize how much it really destroys a lot of people around you. And depending on where you're at in life, I mean, some people, it tears them down to a point that you're just like, man, you're a shell of a human being now. Mm-hmm. And and literally the person took their life because they felt they were that much of a burden, didn't realize how much they actually mattered to the person. Yeah. And, and so it's trying to find those people who literally have come to that point in their head of going, this is, this is it. This is my way out of going... No, let, let's let's break it down. Everything that you thought was so overwhelming, let's break it down and find a solutions and, yeah. and multiple solutions. Yeah. So since you have both sides of the coin, um, I want to kind of ask you. So when you looking back, connecting the dots, going back, let's start with um, your wife. Could you see some things now being some signs going through or some things leading up to it now? Probably not in the moment, but I think it, it'll be valuable to everyone listening. I think that's one of the biggest things I tell people when they're grieving with a suicide is your hindsight's twenty twenty, because you pick up on all those cues. Like you literally pick up on all those cues with my wife. She was sending me songs and saying, Hey, this song really makes me think of you. And I mean, we were separated at the time. She was in Arizona. I'm in orange County. And so she's sending me, so you need to listen to this song. This really reminds me of you. You know, I'm, I'm sorry that all this is falling apart the way that it has. And, and there are all these little cries of like, hey, this is what I'm going to end up doing that you don't pick up on. But as soon as it happens, you're like, oh, shit. Yeah. And then that's where the self-destructive part comes of I could have did something. I could have helped. Uh, oh, my God, I let this person down. And, I mean, you you literally take on all the burden. Yeah. And and it's a lot of weight. And it's one of those things that you got to remind yourself that the hindsight is 2020 and then life and everything it's 2020 you look back and you know what you should have did 
Mm-hmm. You didn't know it at the time. You're in, you're engrossed into to a situation, or or you're living your life, whatever it might be, that you're not cued in of hey, this is what's going to happen. So I need to pick up on these. Yeah. Um, even with my dad, I, I mean, I talked to my dad. He took his life on a Sunday. I talked to my dad on Friday. At this point, I was three weeks, almost three weeks sober. And I was to the point that this is when even my marriage now that I'm in was, was collapsing uh, due to addiction that, you know, I was talking to my parents nonstop every single day. They were part of my support system of, okay, I got to get sober. And it, my dad seemed happy. I mean, the last time that I talked to him, he's laughing on the phone. I was like, hey. And I literally was like, okay, I'm not going to harass my dad or mom this weekend, and I'll talk to him Monday. So I'll give him two days of a break without me. Right. And then all of a sudden Sunday – it was about 11 o'clock here, 10 o'clock here. Uh, I started getting calls from my brother, which was really odd. He's in Michigan, three-hour time difference. It's like my brother does not stay up until 1 in the morning, right. like at all. So this is something's wrong. And he, he p- called me. I picked up the phone, and he's like, you know, I'm just calling you. Dad took his life. And so I figured, okay, my dad was a doctor. He's getting ready to retire and everything. So he probably had a heart attack or something. I mean, it, it yeah. that didn't shock me. And then he's like, you know, he took his life. And I was like, shit. Yeah. How did he do it? Uh, he ended up uh, cutting his wrist and uh, ended to the point that he actually put a knife in his chest. And, I mean, he got he, he went into Walmart literally and did that and bought it and parked on the side of the road in, in Michigan and did it. Mm. And, you know, that's where my passion with the suicide hotline came into play because I was like, even before I tried to take my own life, I'm like, man, if I was at that moment, I reached out for help because I'm not going to reach out to a family member or friend. I'm just not. I've already convinced myself that these are not the people to talk to. I'm a burden to them all. Yeah. I'm not going to talk to them whatsoever. Yeah. And so I'm going to call the suicide hotline. And again, not to bash the suicide hotline because it is a phenomenal resource. It's one of the right. best resources I've found. If you actually aren't, if you're looking for resources for suicide grieving and stuff like that, it's one of the best lines to be on. But I called it and in the first minute as I hadn't talked to anybody, I'm like, man, if this was me, I'd be 30 seconds into this call and I would have hung up. Yeah. Like, I just want a friend right now. Somebody tell me that it's going to be fucking okay. Yeah. And it's, it's one of those that, I mean, it has no, it doesn't pick and choose who it goes after when it comes to mental illness. It's the one true thing in life that doesn't discriminate. You know, you talked about the LGBTQ community plus, I talked to a lot of them, and, you know, they're coming out, and depending on why they come out, sometimes they don't have the, the correct support system mm-hmm. of if they come out and they get the rejection from the family that they have a support system actually to fall back onto, which is so important. I yeah. talked to a lot of uh, individuals in that community about it because they'll ask me, you know, I want to come out to my parents. How should I? My biggest thing is, is don't do it for validation and, and make sure you have a support system behind you because yeah. if they shoot you down and kick you out of the house, you need a fallback. Yeah. Um, but when, when it comes to them, you know, it, it – there's that discrimination everywhere, except with mental illness. One in four people struggle with a mental illness. Yeah. It doesn't care how old you are, how young you are, your color, your age. It doesn't give a shit about any of that. Nope. One in four people struggle with it. So, you know, we look for that connection, and yet we, when you do struggle with it, you feel so alone with it. Why do you, why do you think there is such a stigma to it? Because even, even though that's one of the main drivers for this podcast, obviously that's why I have you on here. Obviously that's a major passion for you. I still feel I still feel like weak or less than and I understand that's a construct of what society has put on mental illness but why do you think there's such a stigma with it because nobody speaks about it and because <clears throat> I think also social media's influence on it is phenomenal even like with my my Instagram with my even with my TikToks and I I make a point with my TikToks I, I've showed TikToks with I'm in the middle of a mental breakdown for whatever 
reason now I'm like, oh, let me record this because I need to show somebody that I am human. Yeah. Uh, and so I've recorded my mental breakdowns literally to say, hey, I know you go onto my social media pages. I look all happy and dandy, but that's not the reality of it. Like yeah. I struggle too. And, you know, you go onto all your friends' social media and you don't, you don't see them struggling for bills or anything. You see them out on a vacation. You're like, well, why aren't we taking vacations? Why can't we yeah. afford this? What, why, why is their life better than ours? And then you go to another friend's and you're like, oh, wow, they just bought a new car too. You don't realize that they're tapped out in debt or whatever it might be and they're stressing and they're at the brink of a divorce, whatever, and they're buying a car to save, you know, their marriage, whatever, is, yeah. is, as minute as it might seem. You just see the positives in everybody's life and you dwell on your negatives. And I think that plays a major role in it and it prevents you from speaking out. And, and there's such a fear too of even when we're a kid, you speak out and you talk about it and still there's a lot of people that don't believe in mental illness. And a lot of times people will be like, well, you're just doing that for attention. Yeah. And it's, it's that one bothers me. It, a lot. It, it does because I think a lot of people truly mistake attention as connection seeking. You know, I have no problem Good with point. somebody when they, when they text me because I get two to 3,000 text messages a day. Whoa. Yes, no. I'm surprised Verizon hasn't called me. <laughs> no, literally, I got to the point that I had four people going over my, I have a Google number too. I had four people responding to text on that, and, and we could not get the text messages under 1,000. Because, I mean, literally, at one point, I had one video that blew up to like 4.6 million views in the matter of a week and a half. And I was getting, during that, about 5,000 text messages. These are unique text messages. This isn't back and forth. This is like different individuals. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and I was getting three to four phone calls at a time to the point that um, I have a brand new iPhone 11. It locked the phone up. No way. Oh, yeah, no. I, I literally, my phone was useless for about a week. And thank God the video got removed. Somebody reported it because people don't like that. I put my phone number out there, of course. And it literally locked my phone up. Yeah. Why do people not like that you put your phone number out there? Because everyone thinks it's creepy. I'm, I'm the only person that I know that even does it. Yeah. You know, people will do it for a little bit of attention purposes. But if you go into my comments, you'll see that I actually respond back to 100% of my text messages. Yeah. It might take me a couple of days, but I'll respond back. And that's why I don't tell people it's a crisis line or hotline. I'm not a counselor or any of that shit. Yeah. But here's what I struggle with so I can relate to you. Um, you responded to me? Oh, yeah. Yeah. You know, and, that, and that's the whole thing is it's, it's that response of knowing that somebody's yeah. going to care. And it's not a bot. It's not like if you text the crisis hotline, it, it, it's a bot that starts you off. And we're in yeah. a day and age that we don't want bots. You know, yeah, it makes life a little bit easier. But as soon as I'm responded to by a bot and it's a generic text, then I'm over it. Yep. You know, people will be like, hey, is this a bot? I'm like, no, it's a bald dude you saw in the video saying that you're a bamf. You're a badass motherfucker. What's up, dude? Yeah. Oh, thank God. You know, and, and you'd be surprised the stuff that they'll unload and the pictures that they'll send to self-harm or whatever it might be that they're going through yeah. because they know that it's a human. There's no judgment there. You know, I don't, I don't know you. Right. So how, how can I judge you? I don't know what you look like. I don't know your age. I don't know your race. I don't know anything about you other than the fact that you saw a video of mine and it spoke to you in some way, shape or form when you want to talk. Yeah. Yeah. That's what connected. I mean, multiple things I said to it before, but that's another thing that connected me with you is that just a real person and then there was that added, you put your phone number out there. And I was like, first of all, that's ballsy as fuck. And two, I was like, this person genuinely, <clears throat> this person genuinely cares about people mm -hmm. and genuinely cares. And I think once again, I, I hope the listeners don't think that you and I are bashing the suicide hotline because we are not, like you said, it is an amazing resource and I'll put it in the show. It, notes. What, what, people, what people don't realize is it's an amazing resource, but it is so heavily, like you mentioned in the beginning of this, yeah. a lot of the listeners don't realize how heavily underfunded it is. Yep. 
that is i mean there there's it, it needs massive funding they they they're they're talking about splitting it actually to 988 mm-hmm. but they don't explain it to you even when they split the suicide hotline you just lost the veterans crisis line so what happens to those workers there's no talk of adding more workers more employees more people to answer the phones when you yeah. split the number yep so what good is it necessarily going to do unless you you really go into that information i didn't mean right. to cut you no, off no, there no. but no, a lot of people don't realize how heavily underfunded how heavily true. understaffed it is true yeah and just going back i think it's because and for some reason i get this feeling that social media is shifting a little bit more towards individuals like like yourself more real more you know you don't have a ring light in every single single thing you don't have maybe you do don't have all the technology sometimes you're just walking down the street you're just in your car it's all just real whereas like you said before instagram is such a curated picture perfect example and then that goes into that comparison mode and comparison is the thief of joy for sure and that was the oh that was another statistic i didn't even say is that the fastest growing group of people attempting suicide are girls ages 11 to 16. It has increased threefold, threefold in the last, I think, five years, threefold in the last five years. That one there broke my fucking heart. Mm-hmm. I don't have kids, <clears throat> but I all of my friends have kids, and apparently they all had girls because, you know, they were a bad bad dude growing up, so that God's like, mm-hmm. hey, you get a girl, I'll mm-hmm. show you, motherfucker. And, but all these girls, I mean, I would take a bullet for them in a, in a second. They're all three and four years old. You know, some of them are a little bit o- older, um, you know, 12, 13. And it freaks me out that it's like they're going towards the edge of the cliff. And I'm over here going, hey, wait, 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 stop, stop, stop. Have some some self-love. Don't worry about the comparison. Don't worry about the comparison. You know, that age group, it just it breaks it breaks my heart so bad oh look at that age group and where, where their friends lie yeah all you know, on I, instagram, all they're all on instagram they're all on social media and that's the new babysitter is social media nobody's mm-hmm. out in the streets anymore playing and actually being real so we're all on social media with what these expectations we think are in life yeah and when we look in the mirror and don't match up to it we think we're letting everybody down you know that that's one of the things I think that massively plays a role is that's parents are not involved in their their kids' lives the way that they need to be in a lot of cases. That you know people are more in tune to their their social media influencers than they are their own parents. Yeah, and and so now you have this false reality of what you think reality is because of a bunch of fucking Photoshop pictures yep. trying to explain to somebody, dude, this isn't what they look like. You know, and and like you said, like with all my videos. Like, I don't even practice or rehearse my videos. I mean, I'll literally just do my video and there it is because it's out of what I feel. Yeah. And and that's where it comes down to the realness. And there's not enough realness out there anymore. Yeah. And I think we as a society a little bit crave that and are drawn to it of like, holy shit, okay, you're saying it how it is. Yep. Because everyone else is going, you know, hey, look at my brand new car. Look at look at what I just got. And look at this yeah. and look at this. And this is so cool. No, it's Let's go through what we're really going through in life right now. Yeah, and I don't say this from a narcissistic standpoint. I think that's why this podcast has increased or got the traction that it's gotten so far. Trust me, I'm I'm not a Rogan. I'm not a um, any of the uh, other big names, but it's just because I'm a regular dude. I'm not a multimillionaire. I'm not a famous person. I'm just a regular dude with a mission to try to help as many human beings as humanly possible deal with this thing right in between your ears mm-hmm. and know that just like you know that you are you are worthy you are worth something people do care about you and if you don't have the family thing it's okay look at yourself inside start building your self-worth 
it, everything will be okay because I can, I assume that you think the same way. I don't want anybody to think for a nanosecond, a second, a minute, anything, that darkness of those mental thoughts that you and I went through, I don't wish that on anybody mm-hmm. on the face of the face of the planet. Not the worst person it, because it's so heart-wrenching and so difficult to just fucking exist when you have those things go through. And that's that's the that's the mission. And I think that's going back to what you said. The realness is I think that's why you've been so successful in your social media. That's why you will continue to be successful. I think that's why this podcast is starting to grow rapidly. Is just being real about real situations, about real shit. So I just really and people and people crave for that. I mean, yeah. we we don't have realness, and and even when it comes down to at such a young age, I mean, I'll ask a lot of these people that will reach out, and I'll be like, you know, do you have a therapist? Well, I went to therapy once or twice. You know, my parents said that that you know, there's nothing wrong with me. Yeah. Okay. Well, did did your parents go into the therapist with you? Yeah, they they went into the therapist with me. Okay, well, that defeats the fucking purpose of the therapist. Why are your parents going in there with you? You're supposed yeah. to be able to go in with somebody and be able to actually unload what's going on and them to get you help. If your parents are in there, you're going to instantly feel you're going to let your parents down, judge by your parents. You are not going to talk about what's happening. Yeah. And and all you learn is a coping mechanism to hold it inside. Well, that coping mechanism eventually breaks. Mm-hmm. Not to jump around, but I, w- I wanted to ask a question uh, before I move on to, I want to get into your um, suicide attempt, but how did your wife uh, take her life? Uh, by officiation. She, uh, it was three attempts. She put a plastic bag over her head and actually suffocated herself. Um, and the reason I didn't know that it was three attempts, and the police told me it was three attempts, is they found two bags in the trash that were ripped open. Wow. So, I mean, I, I'm, I'm so open even about mine. I did a video on YouTube about why I don't own a gun, because if I owned a gun, I wouldn't be here today. Yeah. How, did, how was your attempt going to go down? Uh, I attempted to hang myself in the uh, garage, and it stopped because I had frozen vodka. What did frozen vodka have to do with it? Well, vodka doesn't freeze. And that literally was the only thing that saved my life. Wait, you just drank and then just pass out? Or no, I, I, I couldn't drink it. So what ended up happening is I ended <laughs> up leaving a job, and it was almost like a midlife crisis of, okay, what do I want to do career-wise? I'd done what I had done for the last 17 years, and I made really good money. Money obviously wasn't everything. And I didn't know what I wanted to do for a living now all of a sudden. You know, now all of a sudden I'm stressing about bills too, because just like everyone in California living paycheck to paycheck, uh, the more money you make, the higher your cost of living goes. Yep. And I started really freaking out. I'm like, dude, you fuck this. And it kind of just started that. And it just started building and building over the, the period of about a week, week and a half. I stopped taking my medication. I'm prescribed Adderall. Um, and Adderall actually helps me with depression and anxiety, even though those are typically side effects of it. Mm-hmm. Um, not for everybody, it isn't. Um, it decreases my depression, decreases my anxiety because I can focus. Uh, I'd stopped taking that, so that whacked my brain. And I ended up just getting completely trapped into my head and decided logically that this was not worth it at all. And so I finally it came down to the day I wanted to do it. And I'm like, okay, you know, I've, I was at peace. I was all great. All right, you know, I got my wife off to work. I still I didn't have a job or anything at the time. I was didn't really know what I still wanted to even do. And she left, and I was like, all right, it's on. So in my garage, I had this hanging yoga deal uh, that hangs over cement. So I knew that I was going to hang myself. And typically when you hang yourself, you're going to dig at your neck. It's a body impulse, which people don't understand, is uh, if somebody's hung themselves uh, during suicide, you typically won't see the body because the person instinctively will actually claw and tear out parts of their neck. So I did it over the concrete, so I knew that it would be easy cleanup. I literally had bleach sitting next to there so that Mm -hmm. they could clean the concrete when they're all done. 
found the step stool. I knew that the, where this was, it would hold my weight. I mean, I weight tested it nonstop. Um, went inside, got out the clothes I wanted to wear, started doing all my suicide notes. And at this point, I'd been a little over a year sober. Uh, my, I knew my wife came home for lunch though. And so I got everything prepared and she came home for her lunch. And so after that is when I had planned to do it. So after she left, okay, I got my step stool out and started laying out all my notes. And then my catalyst was, as I knew inside our freezer, uh, there was a bottle of gray goose and my whole fuck it all was because I'm very structured and, and routine. Okay. I'm going to slam the bottle of gray goose. I'm going to lay out my suicide notes. I'm going to change into the clothes that I want to change into. I have the clothes that I want to be buried in laid out. Mm -hmm. uh, and then I'm going to step up my step stool. I'll kick the step stool and I'm, it's done. So when I went to go grab the gray goose, I didn't realize that at some point, whenever, uh, my wife had dumped it out and put water in it. So it froze solid. So my mm -hmm. step stool, I mean, everything's laid out and ready. And I grabbed that out to start it all and looked at it and went, what the fuck? And then it's kind of stopped me for a minute. I looked around and I look at the open garage door. I look at a fucking rope hanging. I look at the step stool and everything. And I'm like, what the fuck am I doing? Yeah. And I literally was like, something isn't right. I'm not right. I'm not right. And I just started literally repeating that to myself. And I got on the phone and I called my wife and I'm just like, I'm not right. I'm not like something's wrong. Something's wrong. Yeah. Um, got on the phone with my <laughs> mom. I mean, I started calling people left and right. Like, I'm not right. I'm not right. Like, I need help. Yeah. Um, and that's literally what ended up saving my life because if that, if, if the vodka was there, it was already all structured and planned out in my head. I would slam that. There we go. Change. Step up the stool. Kick the stool. Done. Yeah. It's something, it's something very, very similar. So, and I want to, the reason why I bring it up, because I want to, because two things kind of similar happened to you and I is that, so I had, oddly enough, it shows that you and I are good, good people because you had the bleach there to help them. I had, I was in a hotel, but I had money out there for the cleaners. I said, Hey, I'm sorry, you know, put whatever <clears throat> money I had, had left. And the, I went to do it with a 12 gauge Mossberg shotgun and put the two shells in because I wanted to make sure if something happened the first time that I, I would had another one ready to finish it. And what I had figured out is that I had actually changed the battery in my car a few months prior and put it in my trunk. Well, the shotgun shells were there and the battery had tipped over and the acid and everything that was in the battery went in there and actually swelled the shells. And so when it, I clicked the button, and it wouldn't come out. And then exactly like what you just went through, I was sitting there going, I need help, I need help. I just text um, my best friend, my wife, and my uh, brother, I need help, I need help. And it was just that, oh shit, I really, really fucked up. That feeling is, is intense as hell. Mm -hmm. It's very, very, because the same thing that happened with you, you almost like, come to back to reality because you see the see the concrete you see the stool you see the uh the rope you know i saw i saw the shitty ass hotel that reeked of the 40 cigarettes and the jack daniels and the cocaine i had in there and, I, and the shotgun was sitting there and i had all the uh letters out there and it I came to it was like what the fuck am i doing in here like wh how did i get here mm -hmm. and that feeling is um it, uh, it, it'll bring you to your knees. Oh yeah. No, it, I mean, it, it, I don't know about you. I mean, it exhausted me for like the next couple of days and thank God for Xanax because I mean, that was like, 
it, it, that that actually helped me through it because I mean it whacked my brain. I mean, and just like you mentioned, I mean I'm literally you're looking out there like, dude, I should be hanging there right now. Mm-hmm. Like, what the fuck is going on? Like what? And it's it's one of those that it like it it kicks your ass. Yeah. Do you think that was the question I wanted to dovetail off of that? And not to be woo woo or spiritual or anything, but do you think? Why do you think? you had the frozen bottle of water and why do you think that shotgun shell swelled? Like, do you think it's just coincidence or? I, I think that there, there's a reason behind it, yeah. you know, and it's probably up to the person to find out what the reasoning behind it was. Um, you know, because then you, you get that really weird debate of, of religion. And I believe that there's as many religions as there are people because we all have our own take on it. Mm-hmm. But I, I do believe that, you know, you're, you're here for a reason. And if you do have a wake-up call like that, I mean, you have now all of a sudden the opportunity to to do something amazing yeah. if you want to do it because you've been to that point where so many people go and they don't come back. Yeah. And I think that's the other thing that you and I have that most people don't is that we've literally been there. And so we can sit with you in the, in, in the dark until the light lights come on and we know what it's like. It's not just some therapist which i i go to therapy it's 100 percent awesome but there's there's a difference when when i can look at you and i go i can go i see you not i see you sitting there i can see inside because i know i've been in that exact same spot just in a different physical location there's something to that there's something to talking to somebody like you or putting your your phone number out there that to the people texting you there's i think they whether they know that or not there's a kinship that they're not going to get anywhere else. And I think it's just so, so valuable. Well, you, you have those multiple areas that you can relate to somebody. I mean, with a therapist, you don't go into your therapist and never hear about the problems that they have. You know, therapists have their own therapists, and we forget that sometimes. Yeah. You know, we go into our therapist, and we're afraid of being judged. We're afraid of being 5150 or Baker Acted, whatever you want to call it, put in a mental hospital. Uh, if we say the wrong thing, so we lie to our doctor. The doctors ask us how our meds are. We're at our psychiatrist, and we're telling him, oh, the meds are great. Oh, okay, even though we're throwing out the script on our way home because we're not even taking the meds because they're not working. Yeah. You know, I think it come, a lot of it comes down to, to actually believing in your therapist and realizing that it's all trial and error. I, I think a lot of it does come down to, I'm, I mean, I'm so pro-therapy, it's ridiculous, but I'm also okay. very pro, if you don't like your doctor, tell your doctor, go fuck themselves and find a new doctor. Yeah. And don't be afraid to. And if your doctor isn't doing what you agree with, because it's supposed to be together, then walk out and find a new doctor. You know, yeah. I, I get people a lot of times that are like, yeah, I don't, I don't go to see a psychologist anymore. I don't take my meds anymore because all they want to do is keep upping my dose. Well, if that's what your doctor wanted to do, you probably had the wrong doctor, so find a different doctor. Yeah. Yeah, I think that's a real big pragmatic point because that happened to me after so I went to a therapist and I was in his office for literally 17 minutes and he prescribed me a bunch of things and then he's like all right just come back next week and I went fuck you you didn't even listen to me at all so I think there's to anybody listening when you find a therapist you have to find a therapist like that you connect with mm-hmm. that's that you feel empathy and and there's a little bit of connection there not just Oh, you have some letters after your name on your on your letterhead, so you must know what you're talking about. Because who I, I forget the guy's name. I'm not trying to put the guy on blast, but whoever was that person, I had just come off a suicide attempt. But you could cure me in 17 minutes mm-hmm. with some fucking with a piece of paper and a script. Like go fuck yourself. But then luckily through trial and error and seeing a couple of them, I found one that really worked, and she really, really, really helped me. So it's really a good pragmatic um, 
uh, thing to do. So it is, and you also don't realize even with the therapist. I mean, there's a difference between a psychologist and a psychiatrist. I mean, a psychiatrist is going to prescribe you meds, um, and they're not going to listen to you probably quite as much as a psychologist will. And you have to ask them for help. You have to ask them for coping tools if you want coping tools. Mm-hmm. Um, and if you don't agree with their coping tools, then go look elsewhere for coping tools. Because I don't think everything is necessarily solved with medication, but meds can also have a reverse effect. And I, and I share a lot about that, too, even when it comes to, like, YouTube and everything, is uh, Lexapro gives me suicidal thoughts. Prozac gives me suicidal thoughts. Well, Butrin never did anything for me. Um, Zoloft made me real, real tired. I felt good, but I was really tired, and all I would do is sleep. I mean, I've been through the gambit of the medications. Mm-hmm. And that's why when a doctor tries to even prescribe me something, now I'm just like, dude, you, <clears throat> you didn't listen to me. I'm out. Right. Later. I'm yeah. out. That kind of dovetail into some of the other things I wanted to ask you. So on your social media, you do a lot of really cool um, like tips and tricks to help with anxiety and PTSD and some other things and self-harm. Mm-hmm. Can you go through some of those? Because I like the things that I love about your tactics and, and the ones that I hope you'll share is that they're all things that you can do without kind of anybody really knowing. So mm-hmm. you don't get that stigma of like, hey, I'm, I have mental illness, or hey, I'm, I'm struggling, or hey, I have suicidal thoughts. So can you go through some of those? Yeah, I mean, uh, <clears throat> I found these all from from actually myself of trial and error because I struggle with it all. And every time I went to a therapist and I would tell them I had anxiety attacks, they would tell me to practice my breathing exercises. Uh, and I'm like, okay, well, breathing <clears throat> exercises with me when I'm going through an anxiety attack, they're different for everybody, but anxiety attack is a buildup of your brain. You disassociate. You literally get lost into your thoughts, and your thoughts are controlling you. You're not in reality. Your skin is crawling. Your heartbeat is increasing. You feel it up in your your, your throat. Um, I've been to the point where my anxiety attacks are enough that I'm throwing up. Uh, people get anxiety bad enough that it comes into agoraphobia where people won't even leave their fucking house. So I, I had to trial and error through that because I also have panic attacks, which are different because panic attacks hit out of the blue. There's no trigger behind them, unlike an anxiety attack. And a panic attack, I mean, you feel like you're having a fucking heart attack. You are saying goodbye to everybody, and most people end up in an emergency room their first panic attack because they didn't realize they weren't mm-hmm. having a heart attack. Um, I've self-harmed before. Um, the biggest thing I found when it came to self-harm is you have to find the triggers behind it. Like with mine, uh, when I was... Self-harm like cutting? or uh, Cutting. Uh, self-harm can come in many ways. So the most common that people know about is cutting, but there's actually a lot of other different types of self-harm. Uh, one of mine was I, I would, I'd hit myself. I'd literally beat the shit out of myself. You think I got done in a fight. Um, and wow. that's actually a very, very common one because parents and other people don't see where you've hit yourself, unlike cutting. Mm-hmm. Cutting is probably the most common one that you'll hear about because you can see the scars. Uh, people also burn themselves. So they'll poke themselves with a pen. There's multiple different things that they'll do to um, to do self-harm. Uh, mine was hitting myself and burning myself. Um, when I got drunk, I, I, wanted, I felt numb. I needed to feel. So that's where the burning came in. If I felt like I was a failure, though, and it went that route, then I would hit myself because I had to be punished because I let everybody down and, and I deserve to feel pain. And so mm-hmm. with all of it, it came to, okay, what are my triggers? And started to avoid those triggers. And then how do I cope with it? Because nobody's responsible for my boundaries or triggers but me. And they will be overstepped. Same when it came to PTSD. I didn't want people to know that I struggled with this stuff or struggled with social anxiety. So I started messing around with things. I didn't want to really wear headphones in public. I just didn't, you know, Mm -hmm. because music is a good coping tool, especially if you have social anxiety, just throw in headphones. No one's going to talk to you and you get lost in your world. Yeah. Um, And so I started using fidget spinners and fidget cubes and found out that that stuff actually, I started paying attention to what was in my hand instead of what was going on around me or magnets. Um, I learned that just clicking of the magnets, I could hear the clicking of the magnets, I could feel it and I could see it. So it used three of my senses to keep me in reality and keep me focused on this. And 
because I'm using so much energy, our brain can only think of one thought at one time. Nobody's a true multitasker. We literally can only <clears throat> grasp one thought. So if you're using all three senses on your hand, you're not thinking about all the things going on around you, the judgment of all the other people that you, that people are staring at you, the overwhelming fear. I mean, people don't get anxiety. You come up with the most ridiculous shit that will never happen, but you wholeheartedly in your head think it's going to happen. Yep. yep. I mean, you're literally waiting for a car to drive through the fucking window and hit you. When it came to anxiety attacks, uh, my senses of uh, taste is one of my strongest senses. So I found, well, I like sour stuff. So I found if I popped a warhead in my mouth, it's extremely sour. And the sour was enough that it got me out of my thoughts to start to think about what's in my mouth. And I would literally ground myself from an anxiety attack. Mm. When it came to uh, Listerine, Listerine's really strong. Yep. It would help ground me from that because all of a sudden, all my thoughts that I'm losing track of reality and I'm literally thinking a meteor is going to fucking crush me went from that to all of a sudden, what, what's in my mouth? Like, yeah. damn, that's strong. Yeah, my sinuses are clearing up. And my whole thought process flipped. Um, when it came to, uh, panic attacks, uh, grabbing ice and putting ice on me to change my body temperature, to shock my system, uh, was something that helped because panic attacks are very hard to ground yourself. You usually need help grounding or it has to be something that's really easy to do. So mine, my easiest one was, is okay. My sense of smells really strong. Um, smelling salts, for example, okay. are, are they're ammonia. And yeah, they're used to, if somebody's knocked out, you give them a smelling salt and they're going to wake up. Yeah. Well, if you're in the middle of a panic attack or an anxiety attack and you whiff that, I guarantee you, you are not in one anymore. Okay. That, that literally brings you, I mean, your thought went to, holy shit. Yeah. And then you're like, what was I freaking out about? Like, what what the hell? Like, I tell people, like, they'll ask, you know, how do you cope with anger? If you're really, really angry at something, I literally write down what I'm angry about. Walk outside. I literally have a punching bag. I punch the punching bag. I go back five minutes later, reread what I wrote, and it's a fucking joke. And I crumple it up and throw it away. I'm not angry anymore. Yeah. The same happens though when you you shock your system from an anxiety attack or a panic attack. You literally are like, what was I freaking even out about? Okay, you know, it's it's all right now. Yeah. Um, Self harm was was different for me, and so um, one of them that I used because I didn't want any scars or anything on me. And you can do drawing on yourself instead of because. People will do it for multiple reasons. They'll want to see the visual effect. Uh, they'll want to feel the pain or they'll want to feel some kind of sensation that, that calms that numbing effect. Um, so if you draw on yourself, that will give you the visual effect. And a lot of people will draw on themselves. If you use tape, you can actually do tape. You, I, I tear off 10 pieces of tape. I put it on my arm and I peel them off one at a time. And I try to think of a positive thought as I'm doing it. Well, I feel the tape pulling off. And so it gives me that sensation. Same when it comes to like glue. Yeah. Um, if I put glue on my arm, and I let it dry. One, I start getting frustrated that it's not drying. So no longer do I want to self-harm. I'm more pissed at the glue because it's not drying. Now by the time it's dry, dried, I can peel it off and it gives me that tearing sound. It gives me that ripping sound. I can feel it in my hand like I did something to myself, yet I didn't do anything to myself. Yeah. And so it calms <clears throat> those urges. And then the whole thing is, is if you want it to stop, is you got to find what the triggers are behind it. Yeah. Of well, what brings it on for you? What What is it? that that will will cause it for example for me and the fear of failure is one of my biggest boundaries is i i needed to learn to walk away you know if i got into an argument with somebody it became a one-sided argument and my side wasn't being heard and i wasn't being listened to mm-hmm. that that blew my mind and it, it instantly brain would go to well i'm a fucking failure then and nobody yeah. fucking cares and what i say doesn't fucking matter you fucking you're stu-. and it becomes right. so much negative self-talk that would build up that then i'd end up self-harming yeah. And so it's like, okay, I need to, well, how do I prevent it? Okay, I need to walk away. Do you think people um, know their triggers inside? Like, I, I know when my most negative thoughts come on, like, I know kind of what's going on in my life. Like, even though I've been on a really good 
trajectory and everything like that. If I'm not working towards a goal, if I'm not like in progress of something, I recently just started to do a lot of like these physical events. Like I did a marathon. That was fantastic for, for me. I hate running by the way. <clears throat> now I got another event coming up. That's this real big obstacle race. Like it's something I'm working for. I feel the best. So I know that's my trigger, but I found that after my mm -hmm. whole situation or, or issue or suicide thing. Do you think most people intrinsically know, or do you think there's something that they have to do to find them? I don't think that everybody fully knows. I mean, I ask a lot of people what your goals and passions are, because I believe that's a big part of, it, it doesn't cure depression, doesn't cure any of that stuff by any means. It, it might help with some of it, but I, I think it does help you a lot in life of calming the depression some of when you do see that progress or growth or you're doing something you enjoy or you're trying to achieve something. It distracts your thoughts away from it. Yeah. Um, and it, like I tell a lot of people, you know, if they're having trouble finding what their triggers are, they don't understand what they are, is you journal. And, and journaling, unfortunately, any doctor I ever went to explained journaling wrong to me. And, and I don't mean to be like a dick when I come to that, but if you just tell somebody to journal, it's like, okay, what, it's a diary? Yeah. I'm going to write about, no, I mean, my journals were literally, how would I maintain a vehicle? Okay, I just had a fucking anxiety attack. What time did I have it? Where was I at? What had I ate up to here? Did I take my meds? I literally had a whole breakdown section, or section of this is what I just went through. This is what I experienced. This yeah. is who I was around to see if it was certain people I was around. Is it happening at certain times of the day? Is it because I'm not eating? Is it, did I miss my meds? It would help me start finding out what my triggers were. Yeah. Um, and sometimes it comes from not even having healthy boundaries because we're not taught in life how to have boundaries in life. And so when people are going over your boundaries and stepping all over you, I mean, yeah, we, we internalize it all because we don't know how to communicate. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that's for sure. Yeah, and I think even with the the journaling, that's something that I've, <clears throat> excuse me, that I've started to do is I'll just text myself. So if you don't want an actual journal, you know, everyone, nobody's without, ever without their phone. Mm -hmm. You just text yourself, and I think that's that'll be a a less invasive way because that's what I think really needs to happen. That's why I love your social media. That's why I love these tips and tricks because they're all kind of silent so because when you're in that that mode like i said before you don't want to let anybody know that mm -hmm. you're doing something you don't want to let anybody know i'm feeling like shit you don't want anyone know that like hey uh wife i feel like i am the worst pile of shit in the entire world your life would be so much better but hey pop a listerine strip and you know just go out that and she'll never know mm -hmm. because i at the time and most people like you and i or most people in that don't have the gumption or whatever the knowledge or the know-how to step up and do it because that's a really fucking tough thing to do in and of itself so i love these little tiny things to do that aren't so outlandish or or so so invasive or like okay every single night you got a journal in the journal mm -hmm. and make sure that's a composition book and all right. that stuff so i just i just love it so thank you for sharing all that type of stuff so it's really really cool no because i mean we're not taught the difference of like self-maintenance and self-love and how important it is and how we have to maintain ourselves yeah and just like you said i mean that's that's i think what what leads it up to a lot of people is you know if you if, if you feel like a like piece of shit husband all this stuff you don't talk to your wife because you literally already have a conversation with your wife in your head that you yeah. already know what she's going to say. Oh, I love you. That's not the case. Well, bullshit, you know. So instead of having that argument, you internalize it all and you just let it just rack up and become more and more of a weight in there. Yep. Yeah. And that that's one thing, not to dovetail on all these, but in um, CBT, cognitive behavioral therapy, that's one of the major factors or ways for depression is that they call it Nostradamus thinking. 
Like, so I'm talking to you and I know without a shadow of a doubt inside of your head, I know what you're going to say and that you think I'm, I'm dumb or you think my, I look stupid in this black shirt or whatever, but it's, you don't know that, mm-hmm. you know? And so you start to assume what the other person is thinking and that just gets in the way so, so much. And you have all these conversations and you had this whole in-depth conversation with your wife or your, or your dad. And you're like, all right, well, a conversation that when you didn't fucking have a conversation at, at all and it made it actually even worse. Right. Because, and, and your brain then, and even worse part is your brain almost registers the, that you did have yes. that conversation. Yeah. So then when it's not acknowledged next time, you're like, motherfucker, I, you already know this. And then it's like, wait a minute, did, did yeah. we never even had that. Yes. And that's the the power of, of communication because so many people will be like, you know, well, I don't want to talk to my parents about it or I don't want to talk to my family about it. Well, why not? Well, this is what they're going to think. Well, have you even – how do you know that? Yes. Well, because I just I, – I know them. Oh, so in other words, you haven't told them. Well, kind of. Well, kind of means no. Yep. Yeah, I guess I haven't. Well, how do I do it? Because, well, shit, okay, you've already made it this far. Well, write your parents a letter of what you're going through and hand it to them. Yeah. And the reason I always tell kids and, and even adults when they go to their therapist, if they have trouble lying to their therapist, is why you write them something handwritten is we're such in a technological age that it's so easy to send a text. It's so easy. If you take the time and say, hey, mom and dad, this is the shit that I'm going through right now. I feel I'm depressed and here's why. And here's how my school's going. And this is why I feel like I'm failing you. And you literally took the time to write that out and you hand it to them. Mm-hmm. You don't have the face-to-face contact with them. So you're not worried about that that disappointment or that 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 look that they're going to give yep. you that a parent gives you and you don't have to be around them at all when they read it and it shows the person that's reading it like holy shit this is serious enough like the person literally stopped their day and fucking wrote me this letter yeah. um same even when it comes to your doctor because i mean we lie to our doctor so if you have trouble lying to your doctor and every time you go in there everything's fine everything's good hand your doctor a letter and say this is the shit that i'm going through because i'm lying to you help yeah. me yeah, and then it breaks open that conversation because we've already had that conversation in our head so many times with them that we never had, that we don't know how to tell our brain that we we haven't had this yet. Yeah, and even in doing that letter, you're <clears throat> also doing something. You're relieving the power of it. Getting it out reduces the power. At least that's why I think therapy is so big and writing those letters are so big because you get everything that you just said, but you also get it out. Mm-hmm. You don't keep it inside. And as it gets inside, it just starts to fester and fester and grow and grow and grow. And if you never get it out some way, it's going to take a hold of you and it'll bring the best, the brightest, the the best looking people to their knees. And we've seen that, like you said, in the beginning of the podcast, you know, Kate Spade or Chester Bennington or Robin Williams or mm-hmm. or an Eric Zink or a Joshua Canuti, mm-hmm. you know, bring no matter who you are down to your knees if you don't get it out. And, and that's the biggest part of sharing. I mean, I have a admin in my uh, Discord community that um, went through a rape and she's very vocal about it. And she, it's, it, people don't even realize it, it, the same principles I feel work a lot with mental health. And again, not diagnosing anyone. But the more that you share about it, the more that you own it, and it doesn't own you. Mm-hmm. Rape victims don't want to talk about about their incident because of all the emotions of, of feeling of failure, of feeling of all of that. Well, a good therapist um, such as uh, this this girl had, I mean, she was like, it freaked her out because her fourth appointment with her, the therapist literally looked at her and was like, okay, you need to tell me about your experience of what happened. Yeah. She didn't want to. But she goes, it was horrible. I'm crying and bawling while I'm sharing about this. And she goes, but afterwards I was done, I felt better. Yep. You know, and that's why I tell people a lot. Like, I share everything I've been through. And it's not for empathy or for sympathy. It's because I own this shit. It doesn't own me. Yep. The more that I'm willing to talk about it, 
It doesn't own me at all. We have that double standard in life of when it comes to mental illness of, oh my God, he's so strong. Look at him share about this and how open he is. It's so inspiring. But yet we're not being open. Mm -hmm. Wait a minute. I mean, I, I hope it shows people an example like, okay, I can grow a social media platform literally off of talking about suicide, my, my, my suicide attempts, my self-harm, my addictions, my mental illnesses become large on social media by literally sharing my shit and being that empowered by it that anyone can do it. Yep. And and it's not even for, for social media purposes. It's for your own personal purposes. Yeah. It, it makes you so much stronger as a human being because you're not living with those thoughts that are, you're getting them out every day. Yep. Yeah. I know we're running up on time, but I wanted to, you dovetailed into it, but talk a little bit about what you got going on with your, um, organization in your discords what do you got i started a nonprofit. it's called driven together and, and the reason i started this nonprofit is i wanted to do something that bridged the gap between a crisis hotline and therapy mm-hmm. because there's a really big gap in there like what like okay my psychiatrist i see once a month that's it so if i have any issues trying to get an appointment set up you're not going to even with a psychologist you're not going to get an emergency appointment typically set up all right so what do you do now Okay, you call the call the crisis hotline, and you, you didn't get anything from that, or you got on hold and you got frustrated. What do you do? So I wanted to do something that was free that that people could go to, and so I found a platform with Discord. It was originally designed for gamers, and I created a mental health community there based on peer to peer support. It's not doctors, counselors, any of that. It's literally just people that struggle going into a community of other people that struggle. That you can talk to people mm-hmm. and say, "Hey, guess what? This is the shit I'm going through," and people can relate because that's what we're looking for is that connection. Yeah, and saying you know, hey, have you tried this? Have you tried this? Um, have you tried Vicks Vapor Rub well, for sleeping? Well, why would I try Vicks for sleeping? Well, here's how it works for me. It's menthol. If I can't sleep because of anxiety and my thoughts are going, I put it on my chest. The menthol hits my sinuses and my nose. My brain's not thinking of the thoughts anymore. It's thinking of the smell. It's it's a comforting smell because when you were sick, you had Vicks on or whatever, and mm-hmm. you curled up into bed, and it helps you fall asleep. Yeah, and yeah, because the melatonin doesn't work for me, and yeah, I don't want to get on Ambien. And so you, you start talking to others to find out what did they do and, and what did they use. And maybe I can try that because it is all trial and error to find out what works for somebody. Yeah. And the more that you find what people use and the more that you have in a toolbox to pick from, the easier life is. But there's no resources out there like that. Right. You know, what, what about when you just need to talk to a friend? I mean, crisis hotlines, you're only allowed to talk to them for 20 minutes. What if you want to just talk to somebody because you are fucking in a bad place yep. and you need to talk to them for an hour? Well, that that's what it was designed and, and built around doing. And then it got to the point that I expanded it for teens uh, because teens need the resources too. And, and we have them heavily moderated by adults to make sure that, you know, that it's a protected community because, sure. you know, there's always that fear of sex predators and all this other stuff. And and bridging that gap and then getting others, you know, to be able to end up speaking out about it and sharing as many coping, you know, tools, resources. Because when you are even in that state of mind of going through a crisis, you don't think clearly. Google's the greatest search engine in the world. But to have somebody with you when you're going, I'm being kicked out of my house. I'm going through massive depression right now. I've had anxiety attacks because I'm stressed out. I have no food and I can't feed my kids. I don't know what to fucking do. To have somebody with logical thinking, understanding what you've been through Mm -hmm. so they can relate that are now not emotionally involved like you are can literally go, okay, here's your closest food pantry. Here's your closest shelter. Try this shelter also. Huge. That that's what the, the community is based around is, is yeah, there's a lot of these free resources out there, but we don't know about them, especially in the time of crisis. Yeah. And you'll tell people about these and they'll go, well, shit, I wish I would have known about this three years ago when I was going through it. Well, getting it to where they don't have to go, oh, I wish I knew about this three years ago. When their shit's going down, they go, hey, I need help. This is what I'm going through. And somebody can literally help walk them through it. Yeah. 
Well, perfect. I love that that you're uh, doing that. I love that you, in all honesty, you know, no cameras, no no microphones. I know we're on a podcast. Just Josh talking to Eric. I'm so happy that people like you exist. I'm so happy that you're out there. I'm so happy that you're have the guts to do what you do. I'm so happy that you have the guts to be open and transparent because it's people like you that make a difference. And like I said, I don't give a shit that we're on a podcast. I don't care that there's cameras or anything from me to you. I appreciate the fuck out of you. And I'm excited and happy that people like you are out there. I'm excited and happy that people are listening and getting help through you because you are making a big difference in people's lives. So I appreciate that. I appreciate Mm -hmm. you. Last two questions. One question and then one maybe request. How do you build your self-worth? I build my self-worth through my goals and my passions. You know, I don't I, I don't let anyone build my self-worth for me or to dictate what my self-worth is. Mm-hmm. And I think your self-worth will change over time. At one point, my self-worth was based around income. Yeah. And and it and it's okay for it to evolve into other things. And it's even if even if it's income. I mean, we're all driven in life by something, mm-hmm. you know. And it, it it's finding what your passions are, and that determines, I think, at least with me, what my self worth is. Yeah. Perfect. Um, and then last request, I want to see if kind of turn your chair around, stare into that camera, and then somebody going through something that you went through, somebody that's hurting. What kind of message do you have for them? Or what advice would you give or what would you want to say to somebody that's going through a tough thing? I mean, the biggest advice I can say if you're going through a tough thing and no matter what the shit is that you're going through, because we're all going through it at times, is that you need to just stop. You literally separate from the world right now. Go look in the mirror and remind yourself that you're a bamf, that you're a badass motherfucker, that you've made it through 100% of your worst days and make it through two today. And you didn't come this far to only come this far. Does it get better? Fuck yeah, it gets better. Awesome, man. Remember, be kind to yourself. All right. Perfect. Thank you so much.